<laughs> Today is uh, Father's Day, and we're grateful for all of our men and uh, young men <laughs> that are here today. We have gifts for uh, most everyone, uh, and most meaning in that uh, uh, they're either pliers or scissors or a flashlight <laughs> and, uh, or a little keychain. So those are the things that we have today. But what makes a good dad? You know, what makes a good dad? Okay, all you dads, raise your hand. That's it. <laughs> we can go home. <laughs> yeah, see you later. <laughs> Don't mess with perfect, you know. But um, Father's Day, I was reading this and I, I, I came across it. Father's Day. Millions of people, young and old, will take time to express their appreciation for good old dad. I don't like that. Good old dad. We don't say good old mom. <laughs> Can you imagine that? We just want to appreciate good old mom. <laughs> How many women would appreciate good old mom? You know, and well, good old dad. It's like, what are you doing? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think those words go together. Good old dad. <sighs> maybe someday they will, maybe 20 or 30 years from now, but not now. So good old dad. So what does a good father look like? Well, we got a little skit that we want to throw up on uh, screen here. What makes a good dad? So here we go. Show that about 10 times and I'll be done. So. But whenever we think about it and the importance of it, I remember growing up and my dad and grandfather and, you know, I was in a very uh, church-going family. We went to church uh, at least three times a week. And I was saying this morning that uh, since 1972, well, 1972, we started as in a home missions church in northern Maine. So we, did, we just had a group of children in the afternoon as kind of the foundation for the church that we were trying to establish there. But probably since 1974, I've never had church without Sunday school. 
This is the first time <laughs> since 1974. So that's at least 10 years. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's a real change. You know, uh, getting ready and preparing and not having Sunday school, it's like, it's like there's something missing. But we're, again, this is just for uh, the summer. So every week, 10 a.m., what time does church start? That's good. And call people up and remind them. You know, it's always, it's always good to give them a call. And I'm just reminding you that tomorrow it's at 10. And that's an invitation as well as a reminder. So you go right ahead. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, there's a number of scriptures that I want to read today. But uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by, way you treat, by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instructions that comes from the Lord. That's the New Living Translation. And the Message Bible says, Though God has given you power, you must not abuse that power, remembering that your children are, in a particular manner, pieces of yourself, and therefore ought to be governed with great tenderness and love. Be not impatient with them. When you caution them, when you counsel them, when you reprove them, do it in such a manner not to provoke them to wrath. You know, sometimes I think... Uh, for our children, that we are frustrated with ourselves. <laughs> you know, we're frustrated sometimes with how we do things. It should have been this, should have been that. And we, you know, sometimes take it out on our kids. Not that I ever did that. But um, sometimes we, we take these examples that we find in the scriptures and we want ourselves to be able to, you know, as it says here, fathers, don't provoke or don't exasperate your children exasperate. I had to look that one up. Exasperate is to make someone very angry or annoyed. <laughs> now, I, I, I know that there are times in which um, children can be annoying, but um, <laughs> we're not to provoke them to be that way, okay? So, to be uh, excited to rage. So there is a way in which, and this is where, and, and uh, you know, in the message here we talk about this, that this is where we find ourselves learning how to become a father, learning how to become a good Christian, learn how, learning how to follow Jesus Christ in the examples that he has set for us. And no one is born perfect. The only one born perfect was Jesus, but even in that, we find in the scriptures that Jesus was growing. It's like his, his ministry became even greater than what it started out as because of the suffering and the trials and the tribulations and how that he handled those things and even the death of the cross. That all of these were part of how that Jesus grew and as it were, in, as being a person, even though he started out as he was perfect, but yet there was this continual growth in his life and growth that was, that was um, noticed and nurtured. He nurtured the disciples with it. So we find ourselves that we learn by example more importantly than having someone do the work for us, we work with them. So we learn by example. We learn by following. We learn by you know, following in your father's footsteps. Uh, having a mentor, having someone that is able to train us and teach us. Frustration, I think, is more with self than fr frustration with the, the children. How many times do I have to tell you this? You know, I used to, I used to Rachel was uh, young once, and uh, <laughs> she was um, my special child. 
<laughs> if she hears this, she'll be mad at me. Rachel was this, <laughs> Rachel was this person who was very um, strong-willed. She still is, you know, but she's very strong-willed, very determined. There's a good word. She was very determined in what she did, you know, how she did things, whether it was, you know, in cheering or, you know, in educating and being, you know, getting her degrees, things like that. She was very determined, you know, she knew what she was going to be in third grade, I think, second grade. In second grade, she knew what she was going to be with, with her life. She was going to be a special needs teacher. She knew it. She said it over and over again. And I never forget there was a teacher who's now deceased. So there was a teacher that told her that she, needed to, she would never become, she needed to change her idea because she would never become a teacher. And, I, you know, I didn't know that at the time, or I wouldn't have spoken with that individual. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't college material, and she wasn't teacher material. Well, the, the idea was that at times of discipline, I'd say, Rachel. I did, Rachel! <laughs> yeah, that's special. Rachel! <laughs> you know, yes, come here. And then she'd be, mm-hmm. I said, come here. Uh-huh. Rachel, come here. No. No. Look at me. No. Did one of those. I th- Look at me. Okay. What did I say? What did I say? And she would come off with this. And I'd say, weren't you and I just here when I told this to you? <laughs> Yeah, weren't, weren't, weren't you listening when I told you this? I said, repeat this after me. I dot, 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 dot. I said, now repeat it. I, and she, want, I, no, no, right, right. You know, what is it that I said? You know, so that when we were finished, I at least knew that she knew what I said. Because sometimes, and, and most of the time, I think frustrations and problems arrive in our lives because of misunderstandings, misinterpretations that we, that's why I don't think texting (laughs) is the best thing to do because you're going to read the text in the framework of the mind that you read it, not in the framework of the mind of the person who sent it. (laughs) You are going to read what you read from your perspective, not the perspective of the person that put it there. And so we're going to misinterpret more than we interpret correctly, especially when they were on that fence of no, you know, of um, anger, frustration, fear, you know, bad feelings, good feelings, you're on that middle part. Often we're going to fall off the edge in a negative sense. So we want to look at things we're not provoking, not frustrated. That's hard. We don't, we're not going to be frustrated. We're not going to be exasperating ourselves that we are not going to be looking at ourselves from an angry, annoyed position. So frustration with self is more of a frustration. Uh, frustration with self is more of the problem than with the child. Children, need, children tend to see themselves responsible for the problems. Sometimes children operate on a guilt modality. I don't think it's something that we intended it to be. 
but children often see themselves as someone who is responsible for the problems that are, you know, and we do that. We tell them, if you just behave, I wouldn't have to do this to you, you know. Uh, it hurts me more than it hurts you. Now, let me do it to you, so then you, you, know, you can hurt, you know. <laughs> let me put, let me discipline. So you see that we have these things of anger and frustration and, you know, because it's hard for us to respond in a loving, caring way and to discipline in a loving, caring way when there's not frustration, fear, anger, and, you know, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. You know, it's, you know, it's that type of, I'm not going there, I have to, okay, when I'm not angry, then I will spank you. How many ever did that one? You know? When my, when my dad, my dad, we, you know, we grew up on a farm, and my dad didn't have a lot of time. He worked two jobs, two full-time jobs, worked in the mines, and we farmed. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about farming, but you got to milk the girls, <laughs> Uh, you know, 32 to 35 head of cattle. Well, that's the milking cows, and then you had another 30, 50. So we had anywhere from 50 to 75 head of cattle the whole time I was growing up, except when I got older, we went up to over 100. So here's my dad working two full-time jobs, farming 200 acres of, of ground, and working 40 hours in the mines, coming home and working at the farm, and doing all that, and there was a very tight schedule because he changed shifts. <laughs> he would work in mornings, you know, work day shift, afternoon shift in Hudal. And when he worked Hudal all night, he was up early in the morning or never even went to bed and worked all day on the farm. That was his day off, his <laughs> day to work all day is whenever he worked night shift. So when you have all of those things in place, I think he had to, he never got upset with me. It was just my brother. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so but uh, it was just one of these things. But we look at and we, you know, sometimes we've got all this pressure, pressure on ourselves. And my dad wasn't just the worker in the mine. He was a boss. So you got all this pressure of the mines and so on. And then, I, and I, you know, I don't realize this until now when I'm late, older, but my dad's brother and my mother's brother were both killed in the same mine explosion. So you have all of that anxiety of going to work, working in the mines, going and doing all these things, and with the anxiety that, you know, if things really go bad, you're the one responsible because you're the boss. Then you're on the farm. If the farm fails, it's your responsibility because you own it. And so when you have kids... <laughs> that need to get their chores done, you know, my mother's solution to sickness was take two aspirin and go to the barn. Cure all for everything. Take two aspirin and go to the barn, and if you're still sick when you come in, you can go to bed. <laughs> so we grew up in that environment, but we find how that everyone does it differently. I mean, we all do it differently. Well, which way is perfect? Which one fits? Okay? Perfection does not mean without flaw. It's fulfillment. So whenever we find ourselves being fulfilled, what is our role? 
What is the role that we live in as parents and where do we live and our background and our education? And, you know, the challenge is we have to have permission to fail because no one is perfect. And whenever we think that we're going to be perfect, we're just setting ourselves up for failure. So in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. I think we're going to scratch that one out for fathers. Uh, love is kind. No, scratch that one out. Love is not, you know, I had, I had a person, you know, and this is a true story. People that would talk to you and say, well, you know, we really don't believe all of the Bible. Okay, well, get yourself a marker and scratch out everything you don't believe. But, you know, when you are different places in your life, you're going to scratch out a lot of things. <laughs> Because it's telling you to be love is patient, kind. Well, I'm not loving and patient. That doesn't belong to today. <laughs> Start scratching it out. Love is not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Does not demand its own way. Is not irritable. Let me <clears throat> say that again. Love is not demand, does, does not demand its own way, and it's not irritable. You know, it's not irritable. How can we say that in a way? <sighs> love is not irritable. <laughs> I'm not irritated today. Uh, you know, I'm very calm. And I'm very... See, how that we look at what God is doing, look at our life and how the things are moving, and we, we are trying to take the context of the Scripture and make application of those Scriptures to our life, but we don't do it in a way that is going to... that we're going to try and do it on our own. We're not going to do it in a way that it's me against the world. No, it's God and I together in this pattern of change. So patience and kindness and endurance are challenging to embody us, but it's something that we need to look at how that God is going to help us become this. I visited, uh, we went away this week. <laughs> um, we went down near Philadelphia, and we have two foster brothers. I have two foster brothers that they lived with my, my parents, with us, for about 12 years. So they're, they're like, like brothers. Um, I remember when one of them wrecked the car. You know, driving home at night, out visiting his girlfriend. <laughs> and, of course, my mother had the rule that um, if you can stay up all night, you can get up in the morning. Never made sense to me. <laughs> you know, when you're 16, 17 years old, got to be home by midnight, you had to go home 1 o'clock in the morning, you still have to get up 5.30 in the morning. doesn't matter if you come home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Chores are at 5.30. So if you can stay up all night, you can get up in the morning. Makes no sense. But anyhow, my brother, my foster brother, is driving home just about a mile from the house, falls asleep, goes in a ditch, wrecks the car. My dad... Not a problem. You're not that kind to me. <laughs> but he was just, you know, my, and, and that way he, well, um, Dan and Bill are my brothers, and they consider my mom and dad their mom and dad because their family is so not like them. Birth family. And we, my older brother who just died, was constantly, was very much in contact with uh, Dan and Bill and family and, you know, just part of the family. And I was thinking of um, 
Rhonda, her, her cousin, uh, no, nephew, that was coming home. He's 12, 13 years old, and he, he was asking his mother, why do you call Grandma Jenny? And he said, well, they said, because she's really not my mother. She's my stepmother. He never knew that. He's 12, 14 years old. Guy's a brilliant man. You know, he's head of some major corporation in uh, California. And, but he never knew that his grandmother really wasn't his grandmother. And uh, I was thinking of uh, John and Mary Vangus. Um, they have a number of girls. I don't remember how many they had, but they, they adopted a girl from a foreign country. I don't remember which one, so I won't say. And so they adopted this, this young girl. She was, I think she was just an infant or two or three years old when they adopted her. And when she was 20, 21, she was, went to the doctor's office, and she was filling out a family history. So she's writing up all the things about John and Mary, you know? And they're writing, my mom, you know, has this, my mom has that, and she's writing the whole thing, and then she gets to the bottom of the page and remembers, I was adopted. <laughs> and you see, that's the type of relationship that we are looking for, and this is the type of relationship that God has with us. God has this relationship with us that he doesn't see us, oh, David is a sinner. David's failed. David has done this wrong. David has done... He doesn't look at that. He doesn't bring that up and say, you remember when? God doesn't do that. He forgives, pushes that, pushes that aside, brings up the good in our lives, the possibilities, the potentials. He brings up the, that, which is a, that which we are able to develop he focuses on our strengths. He focuses on our calling. He focuses on the things that are about giving us life and fulfillment. Fulfillment, not perfection. Perfection will drive you crazy. <laughs> I'll let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> perfection will drive you crazy because nothing is ever perfect. But the challenge for us then is to Allow God to work through us and the greatest example. See, the reason it's so important for us to know God and God's character is that we can be reflective in God's character in how we live, how we interact, how we love, how that we forgive, how that we're able to, how that we're able to discipline, how that we're able to help. You see, these are the characteristics of God. And when God is in our heart and we love God, then, then we are just reflecting our Father who art in heaven. You're holy. And that I want to reflect your holiness in my life by forgiving, loving, you know. Psalm 68.5 says, well, I want to do Luke. Excuse me, I'll do one more here. Luke chapter 11, verse 11 through 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If it is in our heart... If it is in our heart to know that if our child asks for a fish, something to eat, our heart would say, 
I'm not going to put a snake in there. Why? Because your heart says, that's just not right. That's just not right. How do we know that? Because of the relationship that God has with us. It's just not right. God would never do that to us. You know, you hear people, you know, you don't know where they get their image of God from. But you hear people say, well, you know, God must enjoy hurting people because look how he did this and look how he did that and look how this went wrong and how that went wrong. You know what? We have our own human genetic weaknesses. We have our own inherited failures, learned behaviors, misconceptions. We have our own. So what God is telling us and showing us is this is what perfect is. But we can't be perfect. But we're trying and we're striving. Oh, I was going to use, uh, you know, sometimes um, we, we think that um, in our society, what does a, a society put out there as a father? Uh, do you have, did I get that up? Did you get that up? Um, maybe I didn't tell you. Uh, Homer in the Simpsons. That's okay. All right, what do we have on television? What do we have on television? Al Bundy. You know, an Al Bundy father, a beer in a hand, watching TV in a remote, and doesn't really interact or care with about his family or kids. Now that is an old father, <laughs> an old man. You know, ah, yeah, yeah, okay. And he's inept. And some of the models, and not only is he inept, he has no desire to change. He has no desire to be any better than what he is, and this is as good as it gets. So there is this kind of this image that a fathers were, these fathers were bungling, lazy, obviously indifferent to the needs of their family, and normalizes the mediocrity of fatherhood. And we see this on the, t on the television. The mediocrity. And uh, it's important that, that we look at how God is at work in our life. Because God isn't bringing mediocrity. He is bringing to us the ability to take the best of what we are. And the best of who we are. And make it better. God is looking to bring the best of who we are. The, 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 the abilities that we possess, it's not genetic that we become good fathers. It's a learned behavior because we learn by the example of our Heavenly Father. So, and one of the things, is, you know, I'll bring this to a close. When we hear the word perfect, you know, I want to be the perfect person, flawless. We may have perfect diamonds. We may have a perfect performance, flawless. But the use for the word perfect in the passage in the Hebrew and the Greek carries the meaning of making something complete or whole. That God completes us. We are 
a few, you know, we are a few uh, bricks load, few bricks shy of a load, <laughs> you know. We are, you know, my elevator only stops in crawl spaces. Uh, you know, we, we don't have all these things together. But God completes us. He, when we bring God into the, into the fold, into the, who we are and in our relationship, it's God then who helps us to become, to complete us. And the challenge is not that we need to find fault, but that we need to find the good that we're doing and, make it, and allow God to help us make it better. You know, I was blessed by having a good father. You know, I was blessed by having a great grandfather. You know, I, I was privileged. But there are, there are some people who don't have that privilege. And so we look at it, who is our father? God is our father. And no matter what our experience in life, God is our father who brings us from where we are to where he wants us to be. We are in a process of becoming so, however the truth, however, the truth is that God, I can't even read. The truth is that good fathers are not born, but made as they are forged and refined through difficult circumstances. We're made, we're refined as we go through the process of difficulties. You see, I like this little quote. We have innumerable moments of epic parent stupidity. I like that. We have more, no, we have more moments than we can count of epic stupidity. Okay? We have enough of those. But it is okay that we are not perfect because God is the only one who is flawless and he's the one who walks with us and our heart knows, God, I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me, forgive me to whomever we hurt. God will help us to do the right thing. God will help us to grow. Our ministry to our children, ministry. Our ministry to our children is made more complete with each season and with each experience. It's the experiences that help us so that whenever we become old and grandfathers, we can give the kids back. <laughs> but by the end, the goal is that our children can grow into whatever the role God calls them to be. That's when we have succeeded. Not in whether they walk the straight line and do exactly as told. I always dislike that. We're to walk the straight line and do as you're told. And then when you reach a certain age of 18 or 22, out of college, whatever it is, want you to get out of line and go succeed. <laughs> yeah, go be a success. Well, you told me to stand in line. Well, don't do that anymore. You know? We, you know, so the goal is, yes, we have rules and we have a line. And, broad, and you know, The Bible says that straight is the path and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. 
The straight is the path and narrows the way doesn't mean we're stuck on the side of a hill walking along a cliff and that we're with our back to the cliff and a thousand foot drop in front of us and we're just trying to keep ourselves from falling off and that's, that's the narrow way to heaven. It's not it at all. You ever drive down the road and there's guardrails? There's a wall on this side of stone and there's guardrails on this side. Straight is a path, meaning that there are guidelines to our lives. Guidelines. Don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't lie. Don't cheat yourselves out of life and you, you have this four-lane, eight-lane road of God's provision going in the right direction. He keeps us safe within the guidelines of his rules and of his laws so that we can become the person that God wants us to be. We're not stuck on the edge being afraid of falling into hell and hoping that God wants to help us into heaven. We have a great big path of life and that's what God is teaching us as individuals and what we are providing for our children. Thank you. That's all... <laughs> perfect timing. Kids are perfect. If we can have all the men, the guys, the boys. Kids. Oh, Brianna. Uh, Terry, you want to go get the kids? Bring them up. Tabby, thank you. Terry. Terry, Tabby, Tabby, Terry. Come on down. Bri. You're not in trouble. Not in trouble. <laughs> We're yeah. just so proud of you. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations on your graduation. This is a gift. From church yeah. and from Pastor and I. Thank okay. you. Give her a hand. <laughs> and she graduated from Forest too, correct? On what day? I was trying to think. The 15th. Yes. So we're grateful. Sticking to it, sticking with it, graduating. If the men, boys, kids. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm glad you stuck with it. I would have. Yeah. Amen. So come on down, boys. So I, I kind of got the flashlights for the little ones, but unless you can teach, tell your little one what kind of tool you want, then they have to get it for you and get two of them. But uh, got uh, flashlights and some keychains and scissors of different sizes and shapes and even scissors that um, make patterns and of course these are some tools and stuff so you get to pick whichever one you want <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is it our, as men are uh, we never grow up just that our toys get more expensive so so we're grateful for that we're grateful for all of the men and the guys guys Guys, we're grateful for all of you and your blessings and your leadership and your work that you do here in the church, your support. We are blessed. Amen? Amen. Ladies, let's give our men a hand. <laughs> Father, we are grateful to you that you are our Father. You give us the divine example. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit that we become we grow, Lord, that we grow on from here, that we become the person that you want us to be. We ask your blessing upon each of us, your wisdom, your understanding, God, your love, 
your, your guidance in all that we say and do. We need you more than ever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.